I'm about to sing your song, son. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPNTucson.com, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. This portion of the show is brought to you by Parker Automotive, Parker Automotive Service Center. Uh, Located 5101 East Speedway, 323-1960, Parker Automotive, Parker Auto AZ. Dot com ParkerAutoAZ.com. You can call in and you can talk to uh, Scott or Ryan, and they will handle it. Beautiful place on East Speedway. They are fully equipped, fully repair center. And if you've been hanging out with this program for the last 34 years I've been doing it, you'll realize that I don't put people on this program as sponsors unless I know how they operate, like Mr. Test First on Guest, like Mike Parker at Parker's Automotive, and like Simmons for before Automotive Service Center. And so you can trust them. Uh, they're out on the east side, uh, just a, a, a good place. It doesn't bother me at all to refer stuff that we can't get to out on the far east, and I'll refer them over to uh, Mike Parker's place. If you're on the far west or northwest or any place over in that area, I refer over to Brian because I feel comfortable that they're going to be properly taken care of and they're not going to be ripped off. And I use that word. I hate the word rip because there is the biggest problem in the automotive repair industry is the communications. It's That's the reason we did so much information on what you can do and the procedures that has to be taken when you do something as simple as change a battery anymore. I mean, it's it's incredible. Uh, this portion of the show is brought to you by Parker Automotive, and they are 323-1960, Parker AZ, ParkerAutoAZ.com. Brian, tell them where you're from. We're located in northwest Tucson, at Ina and Meredith. That's one stoplight east of Ina and Thornydale. It's in the Michaels Bookman's Plaza, south side of Ina, behind the Checker O'Reilly Auto Parts building. Great big building back here, about 4,000 square feet. Big sign on the front says Automotive Specialist. Our address is 3611 West Ina Road. Again, that's at Meredith and Ina in the Bookman's Plaza. Our phone number, 572-1734. That's 572-1734. You can also go to our website, which is automotivespecialistsaz.com. You can go there. You can read about us. You can schedule an appointment. We're open Monday through Friday, 730 to 5. You can call in. You can talk to me, Brian, the owner, or my son, which is now back with us, Mitch, Mitch Fuller. He's our service advisor now, and I'm your our full-time accountant. So I'm wearing another hat in this shop. So 
give us a call. That's all right. Oh. That's re- the reason you stay tired all the time, Brian. That's the reason you stay tired. Uh, I've been uh, you a little bit of rest lately. Did you give I, your website? I, but remember, test first, don't guess. And when your check, when your call Brian light comes on, give us a call, 572-1734. You still working on that, trying to get the manufacturers to put your name instead of a, a code? Just says call Brian, right? <clears throat> I want them to put my phone number in there. Check engine light five seven two one seven three five three four. All right, all right, all right. Now we we covered uh, everything uh, pretty well on the first. And by the way, the podcast on the Simmons Car Care Show has been extended out across uh, a few other little places. One's called Amazon Music, Sketches, Spotify. And stitches, and uh, there's a couple of them I hadn't even heard of before. But I was told that it is now you can pick up the podcast on any of this. And by the way, that goes uh, pretty much worldwide. So if you want to find out a little bit more what we're talking about, that first hour, I'm telling you from being in the industry, that was some good information, and it's basic information, but it's a real happening. It's not a scenario. This is a real thing that happened at Brian regurgitated for that first hour. So if you're interested to see if you qualify or you have something that you may think falls in that bracket, go back and pick it up on a podcast and you can go to, oh, by ESPNTucson.com and uh, pick up podcasts there too. And you can get this information and hear it again. And are some of the things that you could say, wow, that was a lot of information. It was a lot of information, but it's real, and it's what's actually happened in the high-tech shops like Brands or Simmons or Parker or probably the ones that you're using already. It's real information. So uh, go back and visit it if you need to and uh, pick up that information. If you have any questions about drive shafts or uh, vibrations in a car, last week we covered a lot of vibration points with uh, Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing, which, by the way, Jim and Brian will be doing the show the next two weeks. And um, Jim Mooney, from who owns Frontier Towing, that has been uh, gracious enough to come on and help me with the program or be a uh, shotgun, as Jim calls it, on the program. Uh, since Brian's been out taking care of a bunch of personal business and, uh, you know, and we missed him. We're glad he's back. And Jim's going to be helping Brian because I'm getting ready to take off and see some relatives back east that I haven't seen in the last couple of years. And uh, so I will be probably listening by computer or I may even tap in with my cell phone. But three-hour time change is going to be rough to try to coordinate all of that. All right, now we've covered air conditioning, uh, and we've covered a lot of stuff previously on overheat issues that you may want to keep mind of. And then up pops the devil. Funniest thing I run across the other night, after screaming and hollering about windshield wiper blades, because it will rain in Tucson eventually, I'm driving home. I was out grocery shopping and come back in, and it was dark, and I come up, actually, a kind of a, uh, non-used road that much on Freeman on the east side and there was a gentleman pulled over on the side of the road and he had a little foreign car and it was dark so I really couldn't see what model it was but I seen him peeling the rubber 
the excess rubber off of his windshield wiper blades, and it was pouring rain outside. But evidently, he had a problem of seeing. So he was actually scanning the blades off of the, the windshield wipers. When I got, I have no idea what happened after he did that, but I got a pretty good idea. So it, we're not through the monsoon season, according to the weather forecast, for about the next five days that I've seen. So if you haven't changed your wiper blades and they've been on six months or more, you may want to take a, a closer look at them and look at the end of the blades to see, one, if they're molded and in a position like they're laying, they rolled over, that's the time to be replaced. When you pull it up, if it don't go straight back down, it's time to replace those blades. And if it's got any kind of little crack or break at the end of the rubber blade that goes to the rubber mass that holds a blade, get them replaced. They will come apart. Okay, I'm done with that. Uh, Brian, drive it you in water. Running across things, that's something I want to get to, too, because we're seeing a lot of washers running. A lot of people still think that they're driving a boat instead of a car. Yeah. Go ahead. Like everybody says, turn around, don't you know? Don't even attempt it. I mean, it doesn't take don't a drown. Yeah. few inches of rain, you know, okay. to float a little car. Um, you know, yep. I've seen these washers when they get going. I mean, you can have a flash flood come through there, and, you know, it, it just doesn't take any time at all. You know, just stay yeah. out of it. <clears throat> Not yeah. good for the cars. Go around areas. the brakes. Uh, you can get enough water and debris up in and around the engine compartment. You get, I've seen vehicles come in here where the serpentine belt is destroyed because it got a bunch of rocks and sticks, you know, wrapped around it. And it, it's just a right. mess. You know, you can plug up the radiators, the condensers with all that debris if you go through a wash. Uh, it's just not a good deal. I mean, I had one vehicle come through here that uh, the rear drum brakes were completely packed with mud. It, not a good deal. That doesn't work very well. No, yeah. it doesn't work uh, at all. How about uh, turbos? Most of cars now and diesels and all that stuff have turbos. What happens when the turbo on the inlet side sucks up water going through this high running water to see these big four before going through and they say, oh, yeah, I'm doing good. So they yeah, don't well, slow basically, down when they go through it. It's a big vacuum cleaner, yeah. and it's going to suck all that water into it, and you'll hydrolock the motor, and you're done. You know, hydrolocking the motor is when it sucks a bunch of water in, and the piston comes up to the top, and there's only so much area in there, and if it's full of water, it's going to bend the rods, break a piston. Water does not compress. No, water it does, does not. not compress. It bends rods. It blows motors. Uh, uh, it's it's just a mess. So I see people all the time, and I've seen it during the rainy season last week or this week, earlier this week, and you'd see these big 4 befores. I drive a 4 before with a turbo. You won't see me. I'll be in a no-wake area when I cross anything, and I'm not going through anything. It takes 15 inches of water to float a car. So if you're going to do that, can you – it's it's like putting a can of Freon in your air conditioning. You can look at water across the road at night, you got a, or day, but especially at night. You can't tell what that depth of that water is because 
it reflects the light off of the water, and it just shows water. It'll reflect one inch of water, give you the same appearance as it will two foot of water. And so you need to be uh, very, very careful when you get ready to do that. And you say, oh, I got a detour. I can't believe this. When that big windstorm come through and took out the light poles over on uh, electric poles over on Speedway, I got ready to make a left, and the road shut down. And so I asked the little security guard out there, I said, what's going on with this? And he said, oh, we got three poles down on right on out just about halfway between here and Houghton. I said, okay. And he says, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but you got to do a drive. I said, I don't mind doing a drive around. I don't want to play with electric poles laying in the road or laying beside the road or anybody working on them when this water is still up the way it is. I'll, I'll drive around, no problem. So don't complain. Somebody just saved your butt. Just go ahead and drive around the detours and, and say it's part of rain. At least we got rain. As more We've done had more rain than we had last year. I am convinced of it. And it's nasty. If you don't have to get out in the rain to drive or go to work or something like that, stay home. Stay off the roads, you know, or, or pick your pick your routes very carefully. And uh, you should be okay. But if you drive through the water and it sucks the water up through the turbo or you float it off down in a creek or something like that, hey, that's life-threatening. <coughs> that's not a game. So obey the signs. Don't go through Say, oh, well, it doesn't look like it's that bad, and they got this road blocked off. I'll just drive around the sign and go on through it. You do that, and the sheriff's department has to come out there, or the police department has to come out there, they're going to write you a ticket. And it's called a stupid motorist law. And, you know, I first thought, well, is that politically correct? Yeah, that, that's got it nailed down. <laughs> so, you know, if I did it, it would be stupid. If you do it, you're different than me. I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, just be careful out there. All right, overheating, overheating. What kind of problems we're going to have with overheating that you have seen come through your shop and you can put a vehicle, uh, you don't have to name a vehicle, but if you remember a vehicle had come through and it had an overheating issue, what caused the problem and what kind of issues did it manifest itself into being? In other words, what kind of damage was done? Well, there's a lot of things that can cause overheating. I mean, you've got leaking water pumps, leaking hoses, uh, leaking heater hoses, uh, radiator tanks that are leaking. Because, again, back to this plastic that we have, you know, it's not like the old day when you, you had a uh, copper core radiator, you know, that you repaired. I mean... The new radiators, they have plastic tanks on the ends of them with a rubber seal between the plastic and the core. And after time, they will leak. Or the inlet tank, the inlet meaning the hot water side of the radiator coming from the engine, that hot water going into that thing is anywhere from 200 to 235 degrees. After time, that plastic can't take it, and that plastic tank will crack. And I get the question all the time, well, how bad's it leaking? Look, <laughs> cooling systems, contrary to belief, are not supposed to leak. Generally, when the water heats up, of course, it makes steam and pressure, meaning the system can be up to, you know, anywhere from 12, 13 to 15, 16 pounds of pressure inside that system. 
Thus, if you have a crack or a leak, it's going to blow all that water out. Another thing that will cause overheating problem is a simple thing called a radiator cap or a coolant recovery cap. They're supposed to hold pressure. Most of them are around 16 pounds. That doesn't mean 13 pounds is okay or 10 pounds is okay. Because what happens is if that cap can't hold pressure, the system's still going to pressurize, and you'll be driving down the road, and you'll be blowing that water out on the road. And you'll be going, why have I just had to add a half a gallon or a gallon of antifreeze to this engine's cooling system? I don't see any leaks. Again, I say test first, don't guess. Pressure test that cooling system. Check its integrity out. Will it hold the specified pressure that it's supposed to? Does the radiator cap hold the pressure that it's supposed to? It's the only way that you can properly check the integrity of your cooling system. It has to be done. Test you know, don't guess. All right. We we were talking, uh, Mike Parker was um, uh, on, and he was talking about uh, thermostats. And he said, you know, uh, people wonder why the top of the radiator cracks out. And he said, if you take a lazy thermostat, which there is such thing as lazy thermostats, and it doesn't open, it won't open until the water temperature inside the block actually heats up more than it's supposed to, and then all of a sudden it slams open. And then you have that water at 230 degrees under high pressure coming out of there because it's already built up more pressure because it was supposed to have been released earlier, and it slams the front of that radiator. That's what's helping break these little plastic uh, molds and seals and uh, O-rings because it's way too hot. It's not designed to sit there and pump 235, 240 pounds. That's where you see race cars that run 250 degrees. They do not have plastic radiators in them with little O-rings on them because well, another they thing handle the temperature. With, another thing that can happen with that thermostat is it can underperform meaning stick open, not close. Because yep. exactly. the, the thing with a thermostat, it's totally responsible for water transfer. It's supposed to open and close, open and close. It's a constant cycle that's always going on when the engine is running. If this thermostat mm -hmm. sticks open, your engine is going to run too cool, believe it or not. And in the cool months mm -hmm. when we do have them in Arizona, it'll actually trip a check engine light. Believe it or not, a thermostat will cause a check engine light. And why does it do that? Because the co the computer monitors the engine's temperature. It wants to see that temperature at its specified mark, like 198, 200 degrees or more. That's responsible for closed-loop fuel control. Meaning, how do I explain this? Back in the day, 30 years ago, Vehicles had a choke, and that was that big knob on the dash. You pulled it out when you started it, when it was cold. That we'll call open loop, fuel control. When the engine warmed up, you would push the choke in, thus giving that car less gas. That's closed loop fuel control. So with onboard diagnostics 2, OBD2, that we refer to now, they want that thing to go into closed loop, and they want it to go into closed loop fast. So these oxygen sensors have been given oxygen sensor heater to get the thing heated up quicker, and thus it'll go into closed loop fuel control in seconds. 
on most of your new cars. Also, it has to stay in closed-loop fuel control, and that's responsible for the thermostat, opening and closing, opening and closing. Because when it's closed, you have the hot water, the water in the engine is heating up, and the water in the radiator is cooling off. The thermostat water gets to its proper temperature. Thermostat opens. Now we have water transfer. Water transfers from the engine to the radiator. The cool water from the radiator transfers back to the engine. Thermostat closes. The whole process starts over again. And this goes on and on and on and on. And that's why I say, you know, when you do anything to your cooling system for your engine, it might be a good idea to replace that thermostat while you've got it drained out, get a new one in there, because that thermostat's the most overworked piece inside of that engine other than the pistons going up and down. So, yep. you know, back to the the thermostat sticking open and setting a check engine light, what it'll do is it'll set a code for engine coolant temperature below threshold, meaning it didn't get warm enough. So it's not getting warm enough. Well, cool is better, right? Well, not always. Because there's another thing that'll happen. And I had this with my own vehicle back when we were at the other station. I was driving to work and I'm going, or to the show, and I'm going, gosh, I, the heat isn't very good on this thing. It was wintertime, and I don't have much heat coming out the dash. The temperature is, is not warm. Thus, it was a thermostat that was sticking open. So two things were happening. One, I wasn't happy because I wasn't warm when I was driving. Two, my fuel economy went south. How do I know this? I replaced the thermostat, and I, I keep track of miles per tank of fuel. I, I just do every tank. It's the way I do it. I replace the thermostat, and I get 20 more miles to that tank of fuel. Think about that over the time of a year of driving. That's mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Meaning the, the other thing you do on control because it was at operating temperature rather than running too cold. Right. right. So, All right. I got uh, another one before it slips my mind. I've got it written down here, and I want to remember my notes almost. Uh, stop leak in radiators. Uh, stop leak is another temporary fix. You want to elaborate on the stop leak in a cooling system, Brian? Not a good deal for a lot of reasons. One, you can plug up your heater core. I've seen that happen many, many times. Absolutely. Another thing that can happen is these head gaskets on these engines, there's little tiny holes that go around the burn ring for the cylinder head gasket. For, and those little tiny holes, call them steam holes, water is supposed to transfer through those. That stop leak will plug those holes up. Now you've got a problem with the cylinder head. It's going to have hot spots in it rather than displacing the heat across it evenly because you've plugged up them little tiny hold, holes. Hold right there. 719-1490. 719-1490. If you've got any questions about any of the stuff we're talking about, 719-1490. Go ahead and interrupt us. 719-1490, because it's not an interruption. This show is put out there for you. It's put out there to help educate you. It's put out there to check up from a neck up to you 
and the listening audience across the world, actually. So if you've got any questions, 719-1490. If you're calling in from out of state, it's 520-719-1490. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Another thing that can happen is you can plug up the radiator. I've seen that happen, too. And maybe you'll, you know, stop your leak wherever it is, but you've also plugged up half of the radiator. So now we've got an overheating condition. So, you know, the stop leak, that's just to be used as an emergency deal, not for trying to fix it. That's all uh, there is to it. Also, and a lot of that stuff, I mean, you can't even flush it out. I've had heater cores in how here. Does the stop leak, how does the stop leak affect the, you mentioned it plugged up the heater core, and I, I've seen it firsthand, so I know what you're talking about. Explain how it actually stops up the heater core and what effect it has on a working thermostat. Well, whatever the make of the stuff is, I mean, depend, you know, it depends entirely on that. You know, what did they put in it? You know, back in the day, we had the Aluma seal, which was little flakes of aluminum that went through the system. Some of this, yep. what the other stop leaks have, little rubber pieces in it and there's all kinds of different things that are in the stop leak and basically they will just get into the little nooks and crannies and plug everything up and you can't in in some cases you can't even flush the heater core out i've tried you know i had a dodge in here one day where he put a bunch of stop leak in it and the heater core was so plugged up i couldn't even take a garden hose and flush it out yeah so it's a huge, huge problem. Only a temporary fix. I wouldn't even use it at all. I mean, you have a cell phone, call a tow, a tow truck and have it towed in. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to have to pay us to flush it possibly one, two, three times to try and get all that stop leak out, if you can at all. Or if you get enough of it in there, you know, you could get to buy a new radiator, a new heater core. Mm-hmm. Contrary to belief, you don't want to replace a heater core today. Because basically, on most cars, the whole dash comes out. You're talking all day labor, plus the part. Do we have a caller? Hang on, Brian. Do we have a caller? Is that what I heard you say, Andrew? Yes, sir. Uh, we got Sean whenever you guys are ready. All right, Sean. We can always come back. Sean, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, uh, how are you? Today is uh, pretty good. How about yourself? Good. The uh, reason I'm calling well, you guys today is uh, I'm in a situation basically where I'm running my car a lot more, uh, pretty much all day long, and uh, I'm real curious uh-huh. what's what's most important for me to maintain in my vehicle to, to kind of keep the life of my vehicle. Okay. What are you driving? Uh, 2010 Impala. Okay. How many miles on the car? Uh, 13,000. 13, I'm sorry, 130. I'm so sorry. 130,000. Yeah. Well, okay. to Go ahead, start Brian. off, uh, your fluids. Check your fluids. You know, okay. you say you have a uh, lifetime antifreeze in that vehicle. Have you flushed the antifreeze yet? I actually just did. I had to change the thermostat uh, last weekend. Good deal. Good deal. Good. In your other fluids? Yeah, everything's, uh, when I changed the thermostat, I made sure I topped everything else off. Okay. 
I'd make sure your power steering fluid's clean. Okay. Um, if it's not clean, uh, your power steering fluid is clear in color, <clears throat> not brown, uh, not I'll, black. I'll have, I'll have to double check. <clears throat> yeah, check that. Uh, another thing, check your transmission fluid. Uh, transmission fluid is a bright red color, not brown, mm-hmm. not black. If it's any other color than bright red, time to flush it. Okay. Um, you've done your your uh, antifreeze, so that's good. Take a look at the brake fluid. Brake fluid is clear. Okay. Not brown, not cloudy. If it's any other color than clear, it's time to flush it. And if you haven't done it in 24 months, or t- it's time to do it anyway. Okay. Right. So, you know, get those things in order. Take a look around at your hoses, heater hoses, radiator hoses. Uh, after the engine is cold, you can uh, squeeze the radiator hose. And if you can feel the inside of it going crackle, crackle, it's time to get a new hose put on, and if you're going to replace one, you might as well replace the other and take a good look at the heater hoses as well. Okay. Another thing you need to do is look around, uh, you know, do you have any oil leaks anywhere? I have a valve cover leak. You have valve covers that leak? Yeah, yeah. It would be a good idea to get those taken care of because what happens is, is that oil runs down the side of the motor, and it's going to get on the engine mounts, and the rubber, oil and rubber, don't like each other, so mm-hmm. it'll deteriorate the mounts. Another thing, if the oil leak gets bad enough, the oil can get down on the suspension control arm bushings, which is a problem as well. They're rubber, and they could be deteriorated, and the life of them will be shorted. Okay. So, need to take a look and around if you have drive any leaks. Boots. The front drive axles, pay attention to those. Uh, they do wear out. That's your that's your late model drive shafts going from front wheels to the outside front wheels. Oh, I mean, from a center pumpkin to the outside wheels. It's the drive axles. And uh, check those. If they've got brakes or the rubber is uh, that's responsible for keeping the grease clean on the inside, if that thing's broken, you only have about eight hours drive time on those before you start to have damage that can be irreversible. Okay. So pay attention to that because it's out of sight, out of mind, and somebody has mm-hmm. to actually look at them. And so put an eye on it, put a flashlight on it, do whatever you got to do to see them and make sure there's no cracks on those uh, boots that goes over the CV going out to the um, wheels on those things. Because And okay. the normal, when they start going bad, they can cause a vibration at about 55 mile an hour. And they can also start with a click. If you hear something click and you don't have a rear drive shaft, then it's probably coming from your drive axles up front. So pay close attention to those. That's a very good car that you have. My brother has one and loves it. But um, if you'll stay with your oil changes the way it's supposed to be, don't be jumping around from different oil manufacturers to oil manufacturers. You can do it and get away with it for a period of time. But one oil is busy. It's got just enough uh, different detergents in it where it tries to clean up whatever oil you put in there. So it'll change the color on it premature. And so if you're changing, but the biggest thing on oil changes for anybody listening to this program, 719-1490. If you're listening to this program, the biggest thing on oil changes is regular, consistent oil changes using the severe duty climate. In other words, 
If you're supposed to be changed at 7,500, change it at 5,000. And if you'll do that, and if you're construction workers, you're supposed to be a 3,000-mile oil change because of the dirt and grime and stuff that you run through on a consistent basis. For the rest of you, this is welcome to Tucson, Arizona. It is severe duty, especially right now. We've stepped up one notch on severe duty because of the wet weather that we're running through now. So change the oil on a regular basis. That's just like the blood in your body to a car. And if you've got those leaks, if you have a bleed on your wrist, and that's the blood of your body coming out of there, the same thing is with the engine. You've got a leak, it needs to be taken care of because it has a tendency to create more problems than than just that leak. And I've heard people tell me, Jerry, I can always just put a quart of oil in it about once a week and I'm good to go. No, you're putting a quart of oil in it, you plan on getting rid of the vehicle, and they look at you like you lost your mind. I said, that's exactly what you're going to be doing if you don't get that thing done because it's going to start breaking and it's going to get past that threshold of rubber components, Everything, motor mounts, and motor mounts no longer are the $17 motor mounts you used to have on a 55 Chevrolet. They are expensive, Mm -hmm. and once that stuff starts going away, it affects everything on it because you get, it's just like if you have a broken bushing on a stabilizer bar or something like that. It starts allowing the suspension to move more and take more of a shock than if everything was nice and tight under there. Voila! All of a sudden, your front end's out of line. You got to take it over to Brian, over to Parker, or over to Simmons. You have a a good alignment done on it, and you, it, it's just a mess. That thing is a stinker. Oil leaks on a vehicle is a stinker, and antifreeze leak, a water leak on a vehicle. You need to find that, and you need to find it quick because. That's supposed to be a closed system. It's not supposed to be leaking. You're not supposed to be pouring a quart of water in it every week. Find it and fix it before you have to use that car and take off to Phoenix or something like that and something blow loose in it because of an oversight on your part uh, for that vehicle. Garages are really good anymore. I mean, there's I, I can't really count the bad garages because I don't know all the garages, but there's about 400 independents in Tucson. And if you look at the, we can fix them, but in order, we can't, we don't know when something's going to fail. So that's up to you to take a look at this thing. You can raise the hood. Trust me. You don't have to be a technician to spot a water leak. Now, in the late model cars that have the bonnets on top of them, yeah, you may want to learn how to take those bonnets off. Most of them's got two little twist plugs on it or four little twist plugs on it, and you can take the bonnet off of it, which is the roof of the engine. Take that thing off and just start looking. One, do I have an oil leak? Do I have water leak? Do I have any kind of stuff on there that I don't recognize? And you get those taken care of before it gets into your wallet. It will get into your wallet. Blown head gaskets are expensive. Uh, warped intakes. Which which one of the vehicles now, Brian, has the biggest problem with warped intakes? Well, pretty much all of them. Ford's a big one. Um, the Dodges are having problems with, uh, as well. Um, you know, this again, it's plastic. You know, mm-hmm. we had an F one fifty in here just yesterday that had an oil leak. Well, somebody replaced the valve cover gasket on it, and it still leaked. Well, how can that be? It's got a new gasket on it, right? 
the plastic valve cover warped. Thus, it wasn't flat anymore, and it would not seal. It didn't matter how many new valve cover gaskets were put on it. And the crazy thing with that was is the uh, valve cover gaskets were almost as expensive as the valve cover itself, complete with gaskets. Mm-hmm. So, well, crazy thing. We're seeing the price of we're we're seeing the price of auto parts just skyrocket. We're also seeing the problems getting the parts. Uh, there is a national issue with that, a worldwide issue, I guess. But I'm familiar with the nationwide problem with the um, uh, parts. It's hard to get parts, especially like uh, Jim was saying from Frontier Towing. It's hard to get parts for his 18-wheeler, you know, the big stuff that he uses to haul. It's hard to get simple parts that we used to take for granted that it's sitting down at Merle's and we just call them and, oh, yeah, we got it in stock. Uh, Those things are the supply is now the demand actually outweighing the supply. And it's because COVID-19 had a lot to do with it. That one big ship parked sideways in the Suez Canal has a lot to do with the, the different products that we actually think we can go to the store and get, including auto parts, because these ships don't just carry uh, a bag of feed or something like that. They carry other things. So all of that plays in. Uh, Emily over at State Farm was telling me one of the problems that they have, and I verified that through uh, Spectrum, Ina Road Auto Collision, is the claims on automotive repairs now have gone up, not really because they're a little more expensive to get them fixed, but that's not where the big claim increase is. It's on the amount of time that that vehicle is stuck in that garage or that uh, body shop trying to get it repaired because of lack of parts, and they can't get the parts. So you rent a vehicle, and the vehicle rental to the client that has the automobile in Spectrum, they have uh, the rental used to be three to five days, and now it's up to two weeks, sometimes three weeks, depending on the damage and whether or not the parts are available. So the increase that the insurance companies have to pay out in car rentals it's where the big increase is now. It's very expensive anymore. So keep that in mind. Okay, Brian, go ahead. Now that I throwed you completely off. Yep, let's go to callers. Who we have? Uh, we got a couple guys waiting. First up is Tom. Uh, all right, Tom, good morning. Welcome to ESPN, Simmons Car Care Show. What can we do for you, buddy? Morning, Jerry. Uh, first thing I want to say is I really enjoy your show. And uh, you. my question is, uh, do you recommend washing out the engine compartment? Yes. And the reason I do is because normally the road debris and stuff on the engine block, and the engine block needs to breathe, for lack of a better word, to get rid of the heat. And if you've got a blanket on it, which is road debris and stuff like that, uh it's going to uh, keep the heat inside. It won't allow it to get rid of the heat the way it's supposed to. That's on the engine. It's got a bunch of miles on it and, and stuff like that. But you still need to keep it clean. This is where the problem comes in. If you take a wand at a car wash and the seals on these wiring looms are designed for splash. In other words, you run through and you splash water up in there. Well, there's no pressure on a splash. You put a 1,700-pound or 1,300-pound wand right up against these little seals, 
it will push the water to the inside, but there's no pressure on the inside to push the water out. Therefore, you will start growing green inside your connections on these things. Brian has seen it, I know. Parker has seen it, I know. I know Simmons has seen it over and over because I've been around about 46 years. And if you clean it, all you need is to get some simple green or your favorite degrease or something that won't eat the rubber hoses and stuff, and go in there and mix the simple green, or you can use it straight. I've used it both ways testing it, and it works good straight also. Spray the engine down. Spray the engine down while it's warm. And let it sit. Go get your glass of tea or something and give it about five minutes to eight minutes, ten minutes. And then use water hose at the water pump, at, at the water pressure that you have at your house. And just use the water hose and rinse that off. And then if it needs another squirt of simple green, put another squirt on it. Do the same thing. Do that with your radiators. Do that with your air condition, uh, condensers because it, if you have a blanket on your uh, air condenser or radiator from dirt, debris, bushes, trees, bugs, clean it all off and don't use the water direct on that little fitting uh, for your electrical fittings, mainly the ones that go into the firewall because it will push water through that seal that's not designed to take high pressure. You push it through, it can't get back out because the seal is still doing its job, but it's doing its job from a wrong direction now. I mean, if you can get water in, it should be have a drain hole or something at the bottom of it to come out, but it don't, and it don't for a reason. They do not want splash water or water inside that electrical connection. That answer Thank you, Jerry. Yes. All uh, right, buddy. Uh, should I cover and up? don't get in a hurry. Should I, should I cover up the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the computer module with cellophane or anything like that? Uh, if you want to, to protect the leads is the only thing you're doing. That computer module is pretty durable. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be that dirty. You can You can wipe it off with a rag. Okay, but um, the rest of it, what I'm concerned about, and I've seen it over, like I said, is using a 1300 PSI or 1700 PSI, a lot of the car washes now have, and going straight at the, oh, the electrical's got a little debris setting up there. Well, it's under the hood. It's going to have debris on it. That don't mean that you take a 1700 PSI and say, oh, that's quicker. Yeah, it's quicker, but it's doing damage while you're doing it. Spray it down with a little w, uh, with a little uh, uh, simple green, and it, you can splash the water up and rinse the simple green off. You don't have to put the hose right at the end of it and squeeze the trigger on that spray gun you got on it and shoot it inside that seal. That you do not want to do. So whatever you've got, if you want to wrap something around that, but don't assume that your wrap's going to be tight enough to protect it if you're using any kind of pressure on that thing, because it won't. You won't get it on there unless you seal the thing from the outside with a silicone or something like that, and then you're kind of defeating your problem, because as soon as you have to open that thing up, then we've got silicone to deal with. Um, what else, Brian? What else am I missing? Did I lose Brian? 
Well, I guess I lost Brian. Sure says first. he's still there. Is he? Is he still there, Brian? Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. I'll give I'll um, give him a call. See if we can get him back. Something must be wrong with his phone. It could be. It could be. All right. Uh, but on the cleaning of the engine, just take your time. Make sure you get the sides of the block. It's going to be hard on some of these engines because everything is closed up. But just remember, you can use a spray bottle. You can even use a spray bottle with clear water in it to wash off the stuff. That doesn't put any pressure out there at all. All, it, all you're trying to do is get the stuff off. You're not trying to clean it. You're just trying to get the cleaner that you put on there off of it. And if you don't get all of it off, the simple green won't hurt it anyway. But if you go through and you go through a, a mud hole or something and you splash it up on the inside, that's what the seals are supposed to be doing. Are you going to find some mud debris and stuff on top of the wiring? Yeah, you probably are because you, it's splashed up. The key is the splash versus the high pressure. So, and I've seen vehicles roll in the shop that were spotless under the hood. I've also seen people that that come in and have a misfire and they can't find it. And it turns out to be the wiring. And then when I see an engine this clean, the first thing I ask, how did you clean it? What do you use to clean this engine with? It's too clean. It's too good to be true. What do you clean it with? And a lot of oh, things. I'm back. Go ahead. Are you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. I, I, that's one thing, you know, you're, you were talking about misfires. You know, if you've got coil over spark plug, you've got uh, spark plug wells where the coil goes and the rubber coil boot goes down over the spark plug. If you're washing off the top of the engine, you can fill all those spark plug wells with water. Yep. And thus, you'll have a misfire. So you got to be real careful when you're doing this. Stay, stay on the side. Uh, I would try to stay off the top of the intake with it, okay? If you're going to do anything on top of the intake, wet a, wet a rag down and with uh, simple green and a little mixture of water and then just wipe it down. That'll be good. You'll be good. Uh, down on the side of the block, it's not as accessible to uh, having damage done, but you still don't need the 13 to 1700 PSI one in order to clean that off. Simple green works fantastic. Okay. Now, when you get the radiator, do the simple green on the radiator, squirt it down, let it set a little while, then just wrench it off of the garden hose and do the same thing to the front. Uh, if you use a high pressure one on the front of that vehicle directly in at that AC condenser, you are going to bend the veins on the AC condenser and it's going to restrict the ability for that thing to draw in air and cool properly to keep that air conditioning run like it's supposed to. And the thing is you you can straighten those veins out if you screw it up and do it. But you get you a chair, get you some, and uh, plan on about an hour of sitting there with a comb, or they do make these little <coughs> vein straighteners that a comb works just about as good except the vein straightener has a little more rigid plastic that you can go in, you can start straightening these little veins out. Are you going to get it back perfect like it was before? Nope. Can you get it back where you feel comfortable that the air can get around those veins to help cool that thing down? Yes. But it's not going to be a quick job. You're going to spend some time on it. And it depends on how strong of a one you use on the front of it to what kind of damage you're going to do. 
okay? If you've got an open radiator and you don't have a condenser on it, same thing. you got to pay attention to the veins on the radiator, and you're going to have to go in there and straighten them out. Uh, bugs, normally if you squirt it, flush it from the inside, which is the end, to, from the motor to the front bumper. That's the way you get it out because that's the way the bugs went in. They're going to be stuck in that location. Squirt it down good and then clean it out. And then take a look at it. You can see it. And then you'll be surprised what you get out of the front end, that radiator and that AC condenser on the ground. Uh, when you're washing off engines on, with all debris on the sides of them and sludge, uh, you may want to put about uh, two or three Sunday papers under it so that it'll catch the debris coming off the motor. And then when you back that vehicle up, you just pick up the paper and you're done. If not, you're probably going to have to clean some concrete or some blacktop. Most of the driveways are concrete up next to the house, uh, next to where your water supply is. So when you do that, you're going to have a little debris come out. And if it's all washed down on it, it's going to be thinned out a little bit because of the simple green. So remember that you're probably going to have to clean your concrete also. But, yes, you can clean a motor, but don't get radical and don't be in a hurry. Okay? Did that answer it? I thank you. Yes, sir. All right, Sean. Good luck with that, buddy. Or Tom. Thank you. All right, buddy. All right, we still got another caller on the line? Uh, yeah, with we it. got uh, Marty who's been waiting patiently. Marty. All right, Marty. Thanks Good for morning. waiting, but welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show. Good morning, Jerry. It's nice. Actually, it's nice to hear a show that's not all political stuff, but actually practical stuff. But anyway, I heard you guys mentioning stuff about battery cables. Now, I've seen people go to extremes yep. like using Coca-Cola to clean their acid, but what do you guys think about the actual battery sprays that you buy at O'Reilly or AutoZone to clean the battery um, cables or ba- clean the acid off the battery cables instead? Sure, sure. Okay, well, another one that works really good is baking soda. Baking soda in a spray bottle, Okay. Uh, the biggest mistake that people make when they're cleaning a battery cable, if that battery cable is dirty enough to clean, uh, it might be a situation to where you actually want to um, pull the cable. Be careful when you're pulling the cable because once you disconnect them to clean them out, like and that's a proper clean procedure, by the way. Once you pull those things off, I'm going to let Brian tell you what can happen if you disconnect a battery cable but clean it properly. You can use the Coke. Uh, you can use baking soda. You can use the spray cleaner. I've got all three of them at the house. And you can clean them off. If you got Coca-Cola, it's got a lot of sugar in it. Uh, you have to remember to clean it off real good because it's sugar and it'll, it'll hang around. But if you're to that point with it, uh, I'm going to let Brian answer about the uh, disconnecting the hot lead on a battery to break that commu- that communication system. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, get back to that vehicle that came in where she had her neighbor do her a favor and put a new battery in. Eventually, it, what happened is, is he caused some sparks when he hooked everything up, and mm-hmm. it took out the computer and a bunch oh, of other wow. things. So. Yeah, it got real expensive. So, you know, pull the negative cable and then the positive, and you should be okay. But just be real careful. 
you don't want to char- cause any sparks. Uh, I like to clean the cables first with water, um, and then after that, if they're bad enough, I'll, I'll take an old oil bottle and cut it in half so I've got a cup that I can put some water and baking soda in it and then immerse the cable end into the baking soda water solution. Oh, well, Mike... Well, my question is, how much more effective are the sprays then that you buy at the stores? Because I want to be be able to use the most effective method instead of, you know, a cheap method. Well, I like the baking soda and water method. It's old school. It works. It attacks the the, uh, acid corrosion. Um, I like that the best. It does work. After you're done, you can use a battery spray protectant. To spray on the cable end in the in the post of the battery. Oh, okay. So that's something you do after you do the baking soda thing. Yep. You can you. They make a uh, a, a coating that you can buy. They actually you, they're sitting side by side of the parts house down at Merle's, and you can pick up a can of battery cleaner. You can put up a pick up a can a battery cable cleaner, and you can pick up a can of battery cable protectant. It's a spray-on coating. It goes on the other side. Another thing that works if you don't have a battery protectant is you can take Vaseline, and you can take Vaseline and rub it around, and it it works just fine, okay? Uh, they also have those little uh, grommets that you can buy and slip over the post that keeps it for the acid from climbing the post up to where it's corroding, and that stuff works good also. So there's an array of things out there, but... As far as cleaner, I'm going to have to go with Brian on that. The baking powder does the best job of anything I've seen. Uh, I've had to use a lot of battery cleaner to do what I can do with a couple of tablespoons of baking soda in a cup and stick the battery cable down in it and let it cook. And then wash it off with clear water, and uh, then you can inspect it. The biggest problem with cleaning a battery cable is you've got to know what's going down the cable. Has it already started turning the cable green on the inside? And people are going, well, how do you find that out, Jerry? Well, I'll tell you how I do it. I take a razor knife, and I cut about an inch away from the top. I just I cut the insulation over the wire. And then when I get done with that and make sure that I've got a clean cable, or it, but it's got to have something that causes me to do it, like the cable is swollen or something like that. And then if I cut it and I see the green, I stick the whole cable in the baking soda and I soak it and then I rinse it and then I'll soak it again. And then when I get through, I will just reach and grab that insulation that I've actually slit down the middle and I'll pull it back up the top and then I'll use black tape, electrical tape, and I'll wrap it up so that it keeps the uh, insulator over the wire. And that seemed to work. And if you do it right, it doesn't look like it's home. Oh, but it will that sounds, work. That sounds good. Appreciate but it. Thank you. I'm going to go back to right. the contrary to belief. Batteries are not supposed to leak. So if we're cleaning I, battery cables, my question is why? What caused these things right. to get dirty in the first place? And we need to take care right. of what caused it rather than just cleaning right. the cables and putting them back on a leaking battery. Most of the time it's an old battery. And it's the fact that nobody's taking care of it all the way up to that. It could be just an old car, and it's that time. 
24 to 30 months on average battery on an older vehicle has been running and everything's starting to wear out on it. Um, it seems to be the life of battery. That's according to interstate battery and that, and, and other manufacturers that I've talked to. Batteries are real good, but a battery is a battery is a battery is not correct. You have to make sure you get the battery with the cold cranking amps and something that will service your vehicle. Before I run out of time, lensautobrokerage.com. If you want to check it out, uh, the inventory is listed. DesertRVCenter.com. Also, Lens, uh, it's a down in Sierra Vista. DesertRVCenter.com and LensAutoBrokerage.com. You can go there and you find any of the information I could possibly talk about for the next three hours. So that's that's what you want to do with that. Merrill's Automotive, we've been talking about them all morning. Frontier Towing Jim next week will be on the show with Brian. And uh, 748-1100 for any towing need. Okay, uh, we got 30 seconds left, Brian. Again, we're going to call Automotive Specialist at 572-1734. That's 572-1734. And feel free to join me next weekend. I'll be hosting the show. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate it. Until next week, God bless. Take care. Bye-bye.